Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park That would be amazing if they feel like Barbara Broccoli was like, I sat down and watched this movie called Meet the Feebles. And, Welcome to Gold, Diamonds, and Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I'm a writer for all things under the Cinema Sins brand name and a co-host of the Behind the Sins podcast. Joining me each and every week for this endeavor, he's the co-founder of Cinema Sins, co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia. He also loves when Christmas comes more than once a year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and he's also one of my good friends, Mr. Chris Atkinson. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. <sighs> I after I wrote that little thing about the Christmas like because I think I'm right you're not a huge Christmas fan right so I thought that was extra funny yeah I, I don't I don't actually like the holiday uh very very much um but I'm kind of an old fuddy-duddy that way I guess I don't know I'm not no, I'm not oh, I, I, don't, I don't I don't like I don't like generally like anything that uh, I don't like ceremonies and I don't like, you know, I don't like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm kind of like of that thing. too. I don't like things that like, like stop the course of like an, a regular, like a regular week or whatever. It's yeah. kind of weird. I mean, I like Christmas more when I had a kid, you know, that's become a little more fun. Just, you know, mm-hmm. all that, but, but like Easter really irritates me. I, I, yeah. I, my wife, my wife thinks I have like some like deep buried, incident that happened to me around easter because like i just really can't stand easter <laughs> like i get like i get like irritated <laughs> like yeah it's like why does this have why can't we just go eat dinner with your family last week why's it got to be this day why are you know i don't yeah. know it's it's yeah. so dumb i can't explain it but i just get uh i don't know it feels it feels like yeah it feels like an imposition uh, i haven't even said that we are what we're talking about so you probably got a clue we're talking about uh 1999's the world is not enough um and let's just dive into it our first segment is something we like to call eon flux this is a journey i'm gonna make a movie we have to go back kate wow how did you know all that stuff i did my research i don't understand any of this what the fuck is going on we are going to scour through the history of eon productions and give you all the highs and lows that went into the making of these films this was a pretty like easygoing shoot from everything i can read uh so i don't know if there's a lot of exciting stories but there's still some stuff that happened yeah uh the 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 basics of this it's the 19th film in the official franchise the third with uh brosnan uh, and second to last uh at least as of 
2023. Um, the title is the translation of the motto scene on the Bond family coat of arms, which yeah. is first seen in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It's also mentioned a bunch in, in a lot of the books. So, mm-hmm. uh, And there was actually some other titles that they tried to, I'll, but we'll talk about that when we get to that part. But anyways... This was the first official Bond film to not have United Artists logo at the start of it. Uh, from here on out, it's just going to be the standard MGM. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last week, about them selling the company and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, last Bond film to be released in the 20th century, and the last Bond film to be released before the 9-11 attacks. Mm. Um, hmm. So this is our this is our last pre-9-11 Bond. I, I don't really know. It was so much after that that they made Casino Royale, though I don't know how much the post-9-11 really factored in, but um, I thought I'd make note of it here, and we might be talking about that more next week. It premiered on November 19th, 1999 in the the U.S., and on November 26th in the U.K. Its world premiere was on November 8th in uh, Los Angeles, so here's another one that didn't actually have its premiere in the U.K. Um, It earned $35.5 million in its opening weekend in the U.S., uh, it ended up with 126 million domestic, which actually it wasn't really a hit here. I mean, it made money, but it was like 125 million budget. Mm-hmm. Now it made 361 worldwide, so I mean, it's still obviously. Yeah, it ended up ended it up doing okay. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a dud or anything. Uh, it finished 14th at the U.S. box office. Uh, it made about four million less than American Beauty. It made around 10 million more than Double Jeopardy. Totally forgot how big of a hit Double Jeopardy was. Uh, wow. I didn't remember that making that much either. Yeah, it made like a hundred, um, hundred twenty, hundred twenty, uh, hundred sixteen million. I guess is what it made. And and this one also, I when I was going through the trivia, it was like uh, this is the most uh, any Bond movie made in the twentieth century. And I was like, well, yeah, but it can't be as profitable as a lot of these no, I, yeah. ca- that came out. Um, it, so so it it definitely grossed the most yeah. but it also you talk about a 125 million dollar budget that was that budget is they've really blown bond budgets out, out yeah. uh sky high since the the 80s and whatever and you know there were different circumstances around all of that but uh but a you know, obviously a far cry from the 60s when they were oh, making yeah. these things like independent well, features and even golden eye was like 60 or 70 million so i mean like that you know the, as far as i mm-hmm. i mean the i mean Obviously, with um, whatever you call it, with uh, inf- inflation, I mean, I'm sure some of the budgets would be in the hundred millions today. But like, I mean, I guess uh, Tomorrow Never Dies was the first one that was like a hundred million, which is I didn't even think about that. We were talking about it, and then they're going to get crazier from mm-hmm. here. Um, but box office gets so yeah. stupid uh, around the time Casino Royale yep. comes out. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I don't even know what box mm-hmm. office means anymore. Um, I can't keep up, and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mentioned it because a lot of people mm-hmm. seem to like to talk about that. So, um, cast. So we got Brosnan's back for the third time. Uh, then we've got uh, interesting cast. Uh, Sophie Marceau, uh, uh, who was who was at that time, I guess, known to U.S. audiences for Braveheart. Um, for some reason, I thought she was in Dangerous sure. Beauty too, but that was like Catherine McCormick or whatever that. Yeah. I don't know why I got them confused, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, Braveheart, which she was in, uh, she plays Electra King, uh, Sher- uh, Sharon Stone and Vera Farmiga, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know really what Vera Farmiga was doing around this time, but they were both considered for the role. Vera Farmiga. Yeah. I don't think Vera Farmiga was doing much around this time, but 
Mm, I mean, you never know. She might have been uh, a big stage person or something like that. There apparently was like a million women considered for uh, for like um, both of these roles. But yeah, no, there were plenty of names being thrown around. I, I mean, I don't think I don't know. That, I mean, Sharon Stone would have been fine. There's nothing wrong with Sharon Stone. I just mm-hmm. I, I can't really see it now that I've watched Sophie Marceau do it. But uh, the reason no. uh, Marceau was, uh, it was actually a performance in a film called Limelight. I mean, I'm sorry, Firelight. Uh, she was not in the Charlie Chaplin film. Uh, no, uh, Fireflight was a film that mm. caught uh, Broccoli's attention. Yeah. Uh, which I've never seen, but yeah. Uh, Robert Carlyle, mm-hmm. uh, he was, I guess, hot off uh, Full Monty uh, still at this point, because that was a couple years before. Yep. Yeah. And train spotting. Train spotting, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, mm-hmm. so he was becoming a name. He he plays a villain named Renard. Um, Javier Bardem actually turned this role down, which is interesting because interesting. Yeah, he comes back. I mean, he he, mm-hmm. he not comes back, but he is in a later uh, Bond film. Maybe it's good he did because he's obviously me- very memorable in, in the in the role he eventually takes. Uh, mm-hmm. Jean Reno was the only other one that I saw, but I don't know how far that got into. But I think Jean Reno at that time was just kind of we need a foreign villain, you know. Jean Reno makes sense, so yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Apted really liked Carlisle, though. He said he called him a real firecracker. Said he did a great job of getting you to feel <laughs> sympathetic uh, for for him at times, even though he was like a evil bastard. And very, very, um, I didn't see much about them mentioning this, but very Blofeld. Like, he just, he felt like, because they couldn't yeah. do Blofeld at the time, like, he kind of felt like the uh, an alternate version of him. Um, he's got this, which we'll talk about this later, but he's got this really weird condition where, I don't really completely understand it, but he, I guess there's a bullet in his head that is gradually going, like, down towards his spine, I guess. I but basically mm-hmm. like he can't feel pain and he can't he yeah there's there's a really weird and we'll get it i guess we can get into it but like there was a there's a really weird scene in the movie where they're describing yeah. this and he goes how did he survive that and then the doctor comes in and says well he killed the doctor <laughs> who told him that he couldn't get the bullet out and i was like that doesn't te- that doesn't answer that question at all uh but anyway no they actually and that actually came from um I don't know. I can't find exactly where it's at, but that uh, that was uh, the uh, the Otto character from Tomorrow Never Dies, the the blonde henchman in Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm. Uh, he was supposed to have that condition. That was an early draft of something with him, and then they got mm. rid of it, and then they brought it back uh, for this because the writers were looking at past stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll talk about that when I get to the writers. But um, so that's Robert Carlyle. So he's he's kind of our villain. Uh, well, I mean, until we find out that somebody else. Which I guess we can go ahead and say that. I mean, Sophie Marceau ends up being the ends up being the the main villain, I guess, or at least a collaborator. Um, yeah, she's the main villain. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, Denise Richards, uh, who we've already mentioned a little bit, uh, she was coming off uh, a trio of decent, like at least films. Maybe they weren't huge hits, but they were recognized. Wild Things, of course. I think Wild Things was a hit, mm-hmm. uh, but Starship Troopers, and then what? A, which is a movie, uh, Starship Troopers and Drop Dead uh, Gorgeous yeah. are two movies that at the time, Drop Dead Gorgeous might have done okay at the time, but that is like a 
like a big like I don't know if it's a cult film or what, but that film's got a huge following now. Mm-hmm. Um, they even did a midnight screening of that at our local art house theater here pretty recently, uh, the Bell Court. And yeah, uh, that's something I still need to see. I I I'm saw the- it when it I saw it in like you know ninety eight or something and or ninety nine and I. I remember thinking it was fine, but I wasn't like, you know, but now people talk about it like it's just one of the best comedies ever. So I definitely mm-hmm. need to watch it again. Starship Troopers is a movie that was uh, right misunderstood, I would argue, at least it's at least the way it was presented. Like, I think a lot of people didn't really understand what uh, Verhoeven was doing. I don't really know why because mm-hmm. we'd all just Robocop, but, um, mm-hmm. yep. but it's definitely a film that's gotten uh, uh, a lot more acclaim. Uh, as we've gotten farther away from it. But anyways, Denise Richards, she plays Dr. Christmas Jones. Uh, the character was originally written as a French Polynesian insurance investigator, and they decided mm-hmm. to change the nationality once they cast Marceau. And, uh, but they decide, and then I guess, and then when they, when they cast Richards, right? Well, no, I'm, when they, after they casted Marceau, they decided to not have that character be French anymore. So, then mm-hmm. it turned into an American. Oh, yeah. I see. They didn't want to have two yeah. French characters. In the... I, okay, I didn't I see. see I don't know why they changed it from an insurance investigator to a nuclear physicist other than um, I think they just wanted to create a female like counterpart that was just as smart, if not smarter than, you know, Bond, which they kind of do with the Marceau character, too. Uh, they were trying things. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Tiffany Thiessen from obviously Saved by the Bell, Beverly Hills 90210 and all that kind of stuff. She was uh, she was up for that role. Jerry Hallowell, uh, one, the former Spice Girl. Uh, mm-hmm. G- Ginger Spice, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I almost I think said Sexy right. Spice. I don't think that's it, though. <laughs> I, don't think, I think it's Ginger Spice. No. It's Ginger Spice. Uh, yeah. She's, but she's sexy. You know, whatever. Uh, so, so those are the only two mm-hmm. I really wrote down that were, like, they were kind of there towards the end but yeah denise richards did say there were like hundreds of uh, actresses at that time um mostly unknown but people that were trying to get jobs at that time you know yeah and and when i i run across these things and the imdb and everything and they say well these people were considered it, it was probably like somebody's short list and not everybody like actually uh, tried out for yeah. it or anything like well, that, but that's what they had. Well, and it's funny or whatever, too because so. Apted said that, like in an interview, that like they would want to cast everybody with someone bigger than they could get, but they would have him like they would like go to Tom Cruise and be like, "Hey, we'd like you to play Renard," or maybe this was a casting director talking about mm-hmm. this, and then he they go, "We'll make us an offer," you know, Tom Cruise's agent, and then he'd go back to the broadcast, they uh, a million dollars, like we're not going to fucking get Tom Cruise for a million dollars, mm-hmm. like. So it's like, why are you making yeah. me make these like calls? Like, it's just so stupid. So I think that's what a lot of these names come down to. Like Sharon Stone's another one. Like they wouldn't have probably been able to pay her or whatever, you know, she would have mm-hmm. wanted. So it's like, why were they even trying to get these people? Right. But I mean, I would have loved to have seen Tom Cruise. Uh, nothing against Robert Carlyle, but that would have been fun. Uh, but yeah, it was just kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Coltrane is back. Uh, we talked about him. He played Valentin Sukulski in uh, Goldeneye. And uh, he's back for another round in this one. Uh, and that's always fun. Uh, the, the, the late, great Robbie Goldrain. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a few more. Uh, Maria yep. Grazia. Um, I'm going to go with Cucinata. That makes sense. That's what I was I think it's Cucinata. Uh, I guess at the time she had been in Il Postino. Yeah. That was, uh, Il Postino that was, was full... the one that I recognized her from. Yeah. yeah. 
That was a foreign film that actually got nominated for Best Picture in 95, uh, Lost to Braveheart, which Sophia Marceau was in. Uh, yep. But, um, but yeah, that, um, I, God, I haven't seen that movie since probably 95, but I did. she looked very familiar, so I'm sure that's what I recognized her from. Yeah. So anyway, she's in the movie. She's noted. She's called Cigar Girl. Uh, she's just mm-hmm. she's in the opening sequence, the pre-credit sequence, and she's like, well, I'm actually kind of confused about this because I I get the impression that Bond was not supposed to die since that kind of <laughs> falls into what their plan was with the money uh, in that opening sequence. But she's like an assassin or, or whatever. So yeah, don't I I I mean we'll get into it. Yeah. I don't really understand much about this opening sequence at all. <laughs> but we'll but uh, we go on. Yeah, it's like it. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Uh, the character mm-hmm. did get the name of Giuletta da Vinci in the, the novelization that was eventually written. Mm, okay. Uh, Michael Kitchen's back. He was not in Tomorrow Never Dies, but he was in GoldenEye playing Tanner, uh, which is kind of funny because I didn't forgot about that. And last week when we were talking about um, Colin Samuel, who is back in this one too, is Charles Robinson. Yep. I was saying he was kind of the Brosnan's Tanner. Tanner, but then I was like, oh yeah, no, Tanner's totally in these movies. I just forgot yeah. he was in Goldeneye. Yeah. It's a different actor, and I think Tanner gets more of a role, especially in the later Craig films. He becomes more of a uh, a staple, like him and Craig have some scenes together and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. but yeah, Michael Kitchen's back, one of my favorite actor names ever. Uh, mm-hmm. Judy Dench is back for the third time as Elm. We got Samantha Bond back as Money Penny. This will be her second to last. Uh, Money Penny appearance. Uh, Colin Samuel is back, as we just said. Charles Robinson. This will be his second to last. Sadly, the last performance of Desmond Llewellyn. Um, now, I, yeah. I I remembered this differently. I thought now he was older, like he was in his eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I was thinking, he was sick. But he died in a car accident that actually happened right yeah. after the movie premiered. Um, yeah. So I don't know if this was definitely going to be his last film. I mean, they definitely give him like a closing line kind of where, you know, he's going down and all that. And they introduce John yeah. Cleese uh, as who Bond refers to him as R. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. John Cleese for Monty Python, A Fish Called Wanda, if anybody doesn't know who that is. Uh, but so I, I never could find that this was definitely going to be Llewellyn's last performance, but he definitely thought he was getting too old to do it. Well, and there was some other thing that I ran across that said that he wanted yeah. to be in the next one. Uh, so yeah. I'm sure they would have found a reason to put him in there. But that probably would have been it. My guess is, I, I'm if he had made it, if he had made it to die another day, I think he would have officially handed the keys over to John Cleese. Uh, and of course, anybody who's getting the keys handed to them in this chapter is not going to continue yeah, going that's on true. doing whatever. But, um but if they but if they do believe the pierce brosnan stuff is going to continue after this he i i, I assume yeah. that there would have been a scene in there that where cleese was like all right i mean not i mean i, mean, I love john cleese now. like i mean john cleese is amazing he's mm. fucking funny as hell i don't really care for him mm-hmm. in these in these couple of movies though i, I it's not that against him it's just llewellyn's yeah. like the one person we've had forever and it's just i don't know it's weird and then Mm-hmm. It just feels really forced, like the way they're playing, or like the Brosnan and Cleese and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, it's not like a deal breaker. Like it, I don't yeah. hate it, but it's just it sucks. It's the last two But he does get to go out on kind of a fun, like you know, final scene. And I do like the fact in that scene that like him and Bond are get are both giving uh, John Cleese's character shit. So it's kind of funny to see Q um, on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. We also get a classic. Q's really pissed at Bond because he tears up something. Uh, that gets to happen. Maybe one of the best uh, 
yep. in that nature. But anyways, yeah, so that's 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 pretty much the cast. Um, so production. Uh, about a month before Tomorrow Never Dies was released, Barbara Broccoli was watching. And this wasn't the this wasn't the initial idea that they were initially going with, but Barbara Broccoli saw an, a documentary. Well, it's actually an episode of Nightline uh, talking about uh, how major oil companies were trying to vie for control of the oil reserves in the Caspian Sea during the um, uh, dissolution or whatever mm-hmm. of the Soviet Union, the breaking down of the Soviet Union. So she thought that was interesting, and she thought yep. that uh, uh, you know someone trying to control a pipeline, uh, you know, would be a really interesting uh, motive for a for a Bond villain. So. That was just kind of where that went. Uh, another influence for the film definitely was Patty Hearst. Uh, I don't, I didn't write, I mean, I didn't like go back in and dive into the Patty Hearst kidnapping, but that was a, you know, like a major, uh, it was a, her, her dad was, uh, well, he was Hearst, right? He mm. was the, really Randolph Hearst, Citizen Kane, you know, and she was kidnapped. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's a pretty fascinating story. If that interests you at all, mm-hmm. definitely, if you hadn't heard about that, I would definitely recommend listeners uh, looking into that. There's also been a couple of movies made about it and stuff like that. Um, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She won the daughter. I mean, I think she's the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst, not the daughter, but uh, yeah. But she was related, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was, yeah. But she, that was one of the more like, for, that was like one of the bigger, like, uh, maybe the first, like, like as far as like everybody knew about it, like kidnapping with a ransom and all that kind of stuff. And then there's, there's a whole thing in there too about the like the uh, revolutionary, like uh, uh, the people that had kidnapped her, like they kind of had their own agenda and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Uh, so that was obviously with the Sophie Marceau character. She plays the daughter of a, a tycoon. She at one point had been kidnapped in her life, and. Which factors into yep. why, you know, I guess why she becomes a villain. Um, mm-hmm. There were also other ideas floating around, though. There was a prequel film. There were a couple of spinoffs they were thinking about doing. Uh, the Vincent Chiavelli character, which we really liked from Tomorrow Never Dies. They yeah. were thinking about doing a movie with him. He he died, though, uh, around this time, I think. So, And I don't know how far it mm-hmm. got, even if he hadn't, you know. But uh, they were also seriously considering a Michelle Yeoh spinoff, uh, which never which never mm-hmm. came to be. Uh, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade come in to write the screenplay. The interesting thing about them is they kind of become like the new Richard Maybaum. Um, they're going to be around at least having something to do with the screenplays all the way through No Time to Die. So uh, we're going mm-hmm. to be talking about Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. At this time, they had written a film called Plunkett and McLean. I've never seen it. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard I'd of heard it, of but, it, but I, I don't think I've it. ever actually watched it. Uh, but Broccoli uh, uh, really liked it, or well, so, or somebody really liked it, and so that's where they got their their notice. Uh, they would actually also write uh, the first Johnny English film, which is a a Bond parody, I guess. Send up. Uh, they also wrote a, a screenplay uh, based on the Halle Berry character in Die Another Day called Jinx, which we'll talk about that some uh, next week. Which yep. that was another proposed spinoff that that never happened. Purvis and Way used ideas from other scripts that there was the third installment of the of the Dalton franchise that they were hoping to make in the early 90s. Uh, the, I mean, the, the Dalton's uh, not franchise, the James Bond franchise, but Dalton's run as the character. And then they also suggest they were the ones that suggested making the villain a female. Uh, and Broccoli really, really liked that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, they oh, this is where I had it. They took the 
can't feel pain characteristic from an early Tomorrow Never Dies draft where the Auto Gods character was supposed to have that ability. As far as directors go, uh, Joe Dante was uh, some a name that was thrown around. I God, I, I don't even know what that would be. I'd really like to see it. Peter Jackson was another one. Yeah, although from what I could understand, like, so they liked what Peter Jackson did with Heavenly Creatures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then saw the Frighteners yeah. and thought, okay, this is not our, this is not our guy. <laughs> it's crazy. I thought that was, I don't know why I thought that was funny. And, I, and I'm also sitting there going, I guess you guys didn't see Bad Taste oh, or yeah. uh, Meet, Meet the Feebles oh, either. That would be amazing if they were like, if like Barbara Broccoli was like, I sat down and watched this movie called Meet the Feebles. And uh, <laughs> I was like, this guy, this guy can make a Bond film. Uh, but I, I get it because Heavenly Creatures was was very female centric and they were very mm-hmm. focused on finding someone that could get really good performances uh, from an actress because uh, this is. I don't know. This is like it's like it's like the late '90s. It's sad that it's so rare that like something like this would happen, but it is what it is. And you know, they were trying mm-hmm. to find somebody, which is a lot of the reason Michael Apted gets hired. Uh, but they also, yeah. real quick, before I get to him, uh, the the other one that was like pretty cl- like might have been like right there at the end was Alfonso Cuarón. Um, mm. He eventually decided to go do Speed Racer. He had been offered Speed Racer, which he doesn't direct. Hmm. He ends up not directing Speed Racer, but that was right. why he left this. That's why he decided not to do this. He would have been coming off of uh, the Great Expectations movie, yeah. I guess, that was in the, in and uh, and a little yeah. princess, which and once again, like that. female, you know, centric. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they did. Like the idea of a right. female director never came up, but but. A male director mm-hmm. right. that directed women well. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> yeah, Catherine like, Bigelow or Catherine somebody Bigelow like that. Bigelow would have been awesome, yeah. by the way, probably. Um, yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, so then I guess, because so, his next big thing, yeah, because this is pre-Harry Potter and stuff like that. So, yeah, he definitely would have just been coming mm-hmm. off those couple. Um, so anyway, so then they do eventually hire Michael Apted. Michael Apted, they, he had directed... Uh, uh, Sissy Spacek and Coal Miner's Daughter, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Gorillas in the Mist, and, and Jodie Foster in uh, Tay in the Wind, also known as Nell. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> well, and, and, and uh, you know, you see Michael Apted's name now. I, I believe he died recently, uh, right? He died like a couple a years question. ago, I'll maybe. Double check that. Keep going with what you're saying. His legacy is the seven up, mm-hmm. 14 up yeah. documentaries, all the up documentaries, basically. So, like, when I saw that name, that's immediately what came to mind. Although, yes, I knew he had done a whole bunch of other things like Coal Miner's mm-hmm. Daughter and things like that. He's done a ton of stuff, uh, but it was just, it seemed like a weird direction. No, I agree. I agree. I, I, I remember this at the time being like, Michael Apted, like, what? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. he died in 2021, the beginning of 2021. He was only 79. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah a couple of years ago. Yeah. There towards the end, he was doing a lot of TV and stuff, but like you said, he did the seven ups. Um, he did, um, that he directed that movie with Jennifer Lopez called enough where it's like a domestic thriller. Uh, mm, but oh, I followed yeah, this yeah, up yeah. with a movie with Kate, um, Kate Winslet called Enigma, which is a pretty cool, like, it's like a thriller. It's like a spy thriller, mm. I think, if I remember correctly. Mm. But yeah, no, he was a really well-known director. And the thing was, was the, not only that, but like all three of those performances got nominated for uh, uh, Best Actress, which, I mean, I'm sure, I, it's just one of those things. I think it's funny. Like, I'm sure Ted didn't hurt that situation, but I mean, 
Jodie Foster, Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> and fucking Sissy Spacek. I don't know. Like they yeah. can act really well, so yeah. I don't know. Anyways, it's fine. Um, Abted was also a lot of the reason Denise Richards uh, wanted to be a part of the film because she knew he was a really good director and she wanted to work with him. She worked with some really interesting directors mm. uh, early on in her career. Um, yeah, Dana Stevens, who was Abted's wife at the time, she also did a, a small, like a rewrite, or she polished, mostly focusing on the female characters. And then Bruce Fierstein was brought back in. He's been involved with the last couple in some form or fashion. Uh, he was brought in to uh, polish up some more, and he was kind of mm. focused on um, the 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 more the Bond stuff. What I thought was interesting, though, was the opening sequence uh, when Fierstein, when he read the script, he was really confused as to like... Pretty sure it's Fierstein. Fierstein, sorry, yeah. I don't know why yeah, I keep saying yeah. Fierstein. Fierstein, um, he was really... He didn't really understand like the motivation behind what all was going on in the opening scene. Like he couldn't really, like he just for some reason he couldn't really grasp his head around like why Bond was just chasing this woman so so like so like you know just trying to get her uh, when he had already gotten the money and everything and all the information. And then there's that bit at the at the hot air balloon where he says something like it's not too late. That was something that Firestein added. Like he was actually trying to save her. Was the idea. Mm -hmm. But then he said when he went back and watched the dailies with Michael Lapted, which at that point, the opening scene was like 27 minutes. Uh, it got knocked down a mm -hmm. little bit, but it's still, it was still the high, longest. It's the longest pre-title sequence until No Time to Die. Uh, yeah. and, uh, but he said there was that scene with the torpedoes and uh, where, they, where Bond shoots the torpedoes trying to kill her. And firestein's like well this doesn't make any sense if he's actually trying to save her why would he shoot torpedoes and apted just kind of shrugged his shoulders he's like they're non-life-threatening torpedoes <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a lot of it seems like there was a lot of like putting stuff together at the last minute and i don't know it was just interesting um yeah but uh so what i understand is that dana stevens wrote it to the mm -hmm. point that bond nearly became a secondary character yes. When she when she wrote it, and then they put Firestein in there to go, let's get it back and get get it back more Bond centric, and we'll keep all the other stuff that we yeah. like about the female centric stuff. So that was an interesting thing too that Dana Stevens <laughs> took this took this opportunity to try to make it more about you know Electric King. Yeah. Then uh, it was like there yeah. were like sequences where like Bond like Bond I think just kind of disappeared from the movie like because I think it got it got more focused on her and it was kind of telling her story which I can see that because there's a lot like. There's a lot they have, like, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of world building that probably needs to be done, and they kind of chose not to do it, and that's fine. But, like, I, I got the impression that's kind of what Stevens was doing, was she was doing scenes where it was focusing more on King and explaining why she really wants to do this with Renard. Because honestly, we don't really know at the end of the day. Bond brings up something about, you know, Stockholm Syndrome, but then that's never mentioned again. And, so I think that's kind of what the Steven stuff that got cut. Yeah, and apparently that was an ending too that they wanted to do at one point was to have mm -hmm. Electra survive and then be in a hospital and being uh, treated for Stockholm syndrome oh, or wow. something like that. But apparently that was that was uh, rejected. I, I'm glad yes. it was, but it, it was uh, it was something that was pitched. Apparently, <laughs> I did not read that. That's interesting. <laughs> Film was originally actually supposed to come out in 2000. At one point, there was a rumor that it was actually titled like Bond 2000. I don't know that that's actually true. 
But uh, but they did. They had a bunch of other titles though. Death Waits for No Man was one. Uh, Fire and Ice, uh, Pressure Point, and uh, Dangerously Yours. Uh, which mm. World is Not Enough is probably the better one out of, out of those. Yeah. Uh, this would be a speaking of Marceau's electric character. This would be a film notable that it's one of the few where Bond actually kills a lead female character. Um, the only yep. other one really where that even happened, well, at least pre-Craig, unless I'm missing something from the Craig, but at this time, um, Never Stay Never was really the only time that, and that mm. wasn't even an official Bond film. So, uh, Right. I also heard that uh, in The World Is Not Enough um, was supposed to be a little bit more related to that family mm-hmm. crest that, we, yeah, that we've been talking about. And that um, that the story was going to center around one of Bond's children, I guess, Ill- illegitimate children who have grown up and want to get revenge on him, uh, which I wouldn't be opposed no, to seeing something I mean, like that. But, maybe that's something um, they can do later. There was a bunch of stuff like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of it came down, too, to that you know MGM was just so insistent that this movie come out like two years later that they just kind of, at some point, they just kind of had to start going, okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't think it was like as crazy as Tomorrow Never Dies where they didn't even have a completed script, but right. uh, there was definitely some shuffling there at the end. Um, there was also an early draft where he just shoots her in cold blood. Like, he just... He just walks in and kills her. Like she doesn't even really get a chance to defend herself or say anything. And uh, yeah, uh, they decide and like she hasn't even contacted Renard, which actually makes a lot more sense because she is on there with Renard when she gets shot, and then he's shocked later to find out something happened to her. And I'm like, didn't you hear that? <laughs> like, eh, I mean, you could have you could have heard something, yeah. and then the the radio just goes out, and it 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 it, it, it you don't know for a fact that anything's happened. Yeah. yeah, she might not have been pressing the button. I don't know, but it just—I don't know—it was kind of weird. Uh, filming locations—they uh, were in Spain and France, uh, Azerbaijan. I don't know if I just pronounced that right. That sounds good to me. Uh, yeah, Turkey uh, and the UK. Obviously, they used pine wood uh, for interior type stuff uh, for some of it. Uh, the pre-title sequence—it uh, was shot in uh, Bilbao, Spain, and also in London. They split it up. 14 minutes, uh, it, like I said, it's the longest pre-title sequence until No Time to mm. Die. I'm surprised it's only 14 minutes. I actually thought it, it does was feel long. a lot longer, yes. <laughs> and I, I don't mean like, I don't even, I'm not even saying that in a negative way. I just thought it was longer than that because it's like, uh, it's a couple of different sequences, right? You have like a finale to one sequence and then, yeah, and then you kind of start up another one. It's almost like there's like two, two independent things that happen that's just not usually what happens yeah i mean that all that stuff that happens at mi6 could easily have happened after the credits yeah yeah exactly um and then it one of the plot points in this too is that the mi6 like the the money that they bring in for the for electric king's dad it explodes so obviously it does a lot of damage to the mi6 building um so they get they move to like a temporary place and where they filmed that that was the uh, it's the Eileen Donan Castle, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty famous castle out there. And um, but the thing it's most known for it's the castle they use in uh, Highlander. Highlander. Yeah, there can only be mm-hmm. one, which is the Sean Connery That's right. reference. There uh, can be only one. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
Connery too was also on the set of this for like a day. Like he was just hanging out and apparently he, he saw Brosnan do some stuff. And then he, after that, he's like, man, I hope they're paying mm-hmm. you enough. It was apparently <laughs> him outrunning the fireball on those cables or whatever. Yeah. 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 During the filming of the boat chase, I don't have a lot of like stunt stuff, but like during the filming of the boat chase, there were webcams set oh, up yeah. that were overlooking the Thames. And so you could actually watch this uh, online, which I'm thinking about like in 99, like that was when we like majority of us were still dial yep. up and it took me like an hour to like download a trailer so I could watch it. I, I'm trying to think who was able to like get on and probably watch not very live many, streaming. but if you, it, I imagine it was also, it also probably felt awesome uh, to watch uh, a blocky, oh, I, uh, slow yeah. video. It was like, I'm just, oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so fast these days. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that almost feels like at least, at least like, uh, through the media or like through a, a you know, a big movie that I don't know how many like, other streaming events there were at that you know i mean in 98 or 99 or whatever that just seems really crazy Mm -hmm. uh when you think about the year um i remember being that being the year where the internet really took off obviously you had the dot coms mm -hmm. that were that were coming in but like oh yeah but i remember that was blair witch project uh you know i i remember a big announcement around the eyes wide shut trailer with tom cruise and everything Mm -hmm. that that 99 was a big year for all of that so Mm -hmm. oh it definitely was Mm -hmm. yeah the blair witch thing was there was a lot of stuff online for it right they made it they made it seem like it was a real case and everything and uh you know and and you know (laughs) even like i remember i remember thinking oh was this is this for real? How are they how did they do that or whatever? And then finally you just start thinking about it and you're like, no, they wouldn't just they wouldn't just put these people's deaths on for like everybody's entertainment and everything. Exactly. And, yeah, so whatever. So uh MGM had also signed a deal with MTV around this time. They were just trying to reach younger people, people that they didn't think really cared about the Bond films anymore, thought they were just kind of a relic. So they made over a hundred hours of bond related stuff. And a lot of it was hosted by Denise Richards, which I never saw anything where it said like, this is why we hired Denise Richards, but it starts feeling that way when you see stuff like that. Well, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I think the prevailing sentiment about hiring her for the Christmas Jones things is they were worried that they weren't getting younger audiences. in after they had a, uh, after they had Goldeneye uh, with a great kickoff, uh, you know, it didn't seem like they were retaining or getting new viewers, and so they put her in. Now, I don't remember. I remember Denise Richards being uh, a tremendous sex symbol and everything, but I don't remember her being like someone who brought you to the th- got you to the theater. Like, yeah, that. no, I don't either. And I was reading some trivia saying like, you know, they attributed the like $10 million extra opening weekend to Denise Richards being in the movie. And I was like, it could be just a, a, a great coincidence of things mm-hmm. that happened in 1999, which was a great movie year. And, you know, I mean, I don't know how you can attribute it all to Denise, to Denise Richards. I mean, uh, I can understand why you would think that, but I mean, I don't know. It, it was, it, I was reading a lot of trivia on this going, I, I don't, I yeah, don't really I, think you can really no. put it on her, but whatever. I think they just, I, yeah, I don't understand that. So I, this kind of reminds me of also like, I mean, it's different 
territory, but like Jeff Goldblum was kind of there in like the mid to late nineties. Yeah. People were saying, could can he carry a film? Because he was in Jurassic Park and Independence Day. Like Yeah. And not that people don't like him in both of those movies. I mean, he's great. He still scenes, but I still don't know that people were like, I'm only going to see that because of Jeff Goldblum. Right. That it, it like adds an extra ten to twenty million dollars to your figure. <laughs> like it's all these strictly Jeff Goldblum fans that came out to watch the movie. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, she wasn't. Cause I mean, even her movies, I mean, cause Starship Troopers did not make money. I don't know. Drop dead gorgeous. Wild things made money, but it wasn't like a huge hit or anything. I don't remember. I don't remember any of these movies really doing a yeah. lot. Wild things I think had a, uh, I mean, we could look this up. I don't That's think true. wild things was a big thing. No, uh, it I mean, definitely it wasn't was, huge. Starship Troopers, you know, I mean, nobody knew who that cast was really exactly. uh, when that came out. So, um, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting that they, I don't know. I, and I think Drop Dead Gorgeous may have just made just a handful of millions of dollars. It yeah, wasn't exactly. like, it wasn't much at all. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah, anyway. I mean, this was easily, I think, her highest grossing film at this point. I can't, easily. I, mean, I don't know. And probably yeah. of all time, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then uh, while this isn't based on a novel, but like the last couple, there was a novelization written. It was written by Raymond Benson. Um, there's a couple sequences in the film that are very similar to sequences that took place in other Bond novels, the ones that weren't written by Fleming. Uh, they've never given them credit. They've never come out and said this is what they were doing, but the M getting kidnapped, uh, which actually kind of comes back up in, in one of the Craig films. Um, uh, there was a, a Bond novel written by Kingsley Amos called Colonel Sun, and that's a big plot point in that is that M gets kidnapped. Uh, one of the film's settings, too, is Baku, uh, that's also one of the settings in a Bond novel called The Man from Barbarossa, which was written by John mm. Gardner. Uh, uh, this was interesting. Speaking of 9-11, a scene that doesn't make it into the movie, uh, they filmed it. It's Elm giving like this like rah-rah speech after the explosion. And uh, at the end of it, she says something like, this will not stand. Uh, yeah. Judy Dench really didn't like that speech. She thought it was, she called it Churchillian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but Aft had talked her into doing it, but then they ended up cutting it from the film. But what's interesting and obviously just coincidental, but it was just still odd. Was it two years later, uh, nine 11 happens and Tony Blair gives this like big speech. <laughs> Which he yeah. ends with, this will not stand. Well, so. yeah, and it's also <laughs> a classic thing from the first George Bush uh, yeah. when uh, when he's talking about the aggression against Kuwait and uh, mm-hmm. as a prelude to going into Iraq in 1991. Um, this will not stand, this aggression against Kuwait, which, of course, later on in the Big Lebowski, they <laughs> they replay, but anyway. Yeah, uh, they do. <laughs> um, I'm just imagining, though, like Judy Dench watching Tony Blair give this speech, rolling oh her eyes. Oh, my God, that would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Uh, the film ends also with a, there's a joke made about the millennium bug, uh, which... Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. I, I wonder, like, I wonder how many younger people today even know what that's referring to, but if anyone's mm-hmm. listening to this doesn't, you should definitely look it up, but essentially there were people that were really nervous that when the clocks clicked over to 2000, everything was just going to shut down. Well, yeah, because they were using two digits, I guess, yeah. for, and yeah. so it was going to go to zero, zero, and they thought that the computers would revert to some, yeah. or get, get confused or mm-hmm. something like that. And yeah, Y2K was a big, uh, big worry back mm-hmm. in 1999. And, uh, 
And you know, I guess there were there was probably a, a variety of things being done during that time. Even the movie Office Space talks about how oh yeah, they're like you know, there he's his his job is is basically making sure that that glitch doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's probably tons of people, tons of IT people back in the day, just making sure that didn't that didn't occur. So exactly, exactly. Um, and then the only other thing I had was there was a there there once again they made another first person shooter. Uh, video game we're getting we're in the era where they're making video games out of all these and uh it was for nintendo 64 and playstation but i don't think anybody really liked it that much mm. um do you have anything else on the production that you heard that you wanted to mention or uh no i don't think so there's um the, there there was a making of on this particular disc mm-hmm. it wasn't the same obviously as the ones that came uh uh pre-brosnan uh, it was a. It looked like a TV special that they just kind of included on the disc, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's not entirely. It's not very good. Uh, the host at one point has Pierce Brosnan on this submarine set or a submarine. I can't remember if it's a set or if it's an actual submarine. And it's like we got Pierce Brosnan here. And one of the first questions <laughs> she goes into is like, I went and I watched all the James Bonds before this movie, and there was an. There's an actual whole section of James bond movies in my video store isn't that amazing and pierce brosnan was just like didn't know how to answer and just kind of was like well anyway what you have to do when you do this is you have to you have to know who the man is you have to read into it you know like he's just talking about the craft of acting after that it's like because there's nothing to say to that to that question at all like Um, yeah video um, stores have been around since the early 80s and yeah and uh, it's not it's not entirely surprising that they would divide the james bonds into one little section and so on and like wh- i i was i guess he guess she was hoping that brosnan would have something very clever to say about that but uh he was just like oh let's i'm gonna talk about acting here's the th- art of acting here's yeah. what i do when i try to get into a character <laughs> and so on and so forth yeah no there's not there's not much yeah. uh in the way of the production that i saw in this that uh that really like oh yeah i need to mention that so gotcha I know. I said I thought at first you were going to say she asked about like Remington Steel or something. She was like, "I just oh, want to talk about Remington Steel." Oh, that'd be amazing. Steel. I halfway oh. expected that in that interview so bad. So, <laughs> uh, so music wise, uh, we got David Arnold back doing the score. Once again, though, much like Tomorrow Never Dies, it's hard for me to even remember what the score sounded like. Yeah, but, same. Uh, uh, but it's not. It's not like it's not like Goldeneye, where it's like, "Oh my God, what is this?" You know, it's not mm-hmm. too invasive, but. Uh, the title song, uh, The World Is Not Enough, was written by Arnold and Don Black, and it was performed by Garbage. Yeah. Uh, Shirley, Shirley Manson led Garbage, uh, yeah. which they were, uh, that was probably like their heyday, right? That was when they were probably at their... It was definitely uh, their heyday. In the mid to late 90s, Garbage <laughs> came out with most of their, the most of their, the stuff that you know from. They already yeah. felt like they were making bond themes they were very like yeah, I that too. atmospheric and moody already yeah. uh so they were a natural fit i felt like to do a bond theme so yeah and her voice and like i the only like i was thinking about that too because only when it rains or whatever i'm like you could totally mm-hmm. make that into a bond song like you yeah. know it's even kind of got a bond title you know already mm-hmm. uh but yeah. yeah i i think i'm paranoid i mean they they yeah, they were mm-hmm. fun. Uh, so yeah, that would make the second band that I've seen live that has done a Bond. Uh, I also saw Duran Duran. Oh, like. I was, yeah, I was trying to think. Yo, that's right. You mentioned that. Yeah. Mm. 
I don't know that I've seen any. I'm trying to think. Well, I saw Soundgarden, so I've seen Chris Cornell mm. at least. Mm. Uh, Soundgarden concert where I got hit in the back of the head with like an orange. Uh, somebody, oh, it, yeah, it was that municipal, and some asshole just from like the upper deck just threw an orange. I mean, not directly at me. They just threw mm-hmm. an orange, and it just happened. Of all the people on the floor, it hit me. That's weird. I have a uh, yeah. I haven't seen Soundgarden, but I did see Chris Cornell when he became a solo act yeah. there for a for a br- brief moment. So that will man. be an upcoming one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Chris Cornell, man, I miss that guy. That guy was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so uh, I will say about this theme song, not giving our opinion, but I, this was one where they actually talked about like some rankings. IGN called this the ninth best James Bond theme uh, in the two thousands, and then in two thousand twelve, a uh, Grantland called Grantland cited it as the second best Bond theme song, yeah. only behind goldfinger was the only one they put ahead of it hmm, yeah it's hard to beat goldfinger yeah the english band straw uh who i'd never heard of uh but they mm-hmm. also recorded a theme song but it was rejected hmm. and best i could tell you it's not something you can like find on a different album or anything mm-hmm. uh reception uh mo- and just like the last couple of brosnan films it was pretty mixed uh positives mostly centered around brosnan and marceau uh their performances and their chemistry and the film's decision to focus more on characters than it had in uh, previous entries. Which I'll agree with that. At times, this does almost feel like a more of a character piece than anything else. Yeah. Um, most of the negatives uh, centered around Denise Richards. Which uh, is unfortunate. I, it I, is. And then look, I, 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 we can get it. I know we get more into our opinions later yeah. in the other sections. But, you know, like, look. Do I think that she is awesome in this movie? No, by no means. But as if you want to talk about the average Bond girl that's in, like, how many of these act- actors are ever, like, you know, great in their role? She does exactly yeah. the average amount that anybody else does in, in, these, in these movies, so... <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it didn't. She didn't love the reception, but she like interviews I'd read with her though. She was really professional about it, and she seemed to take it all in stride. And she talked about how people, because when you first see her, she almost looks like Laura Croft or something. Like she's got right, like right. A, which is they they did that yeah, on purpose. Absolutely, I believe. absolutely. Yeah. And so she's got like a tank top on. She's wearing like uh, these short shorts. You know, I mean, she looks like Laura Croft. Laura mm-hmm. Croft and. Um, like Denise Richards dressed up as Laura Croft on Halloween. That's what kind of what it looks like. But she yeah. said, but it's like, but if you, but she was saying, you know, but if you put me like in whatever you consider nuclear physicist clothes, you just would have complained about the fact that I was like, you know, wearing that. I mean, she's like, yeah. there's no, she's like, there's no way around it. She's like, she's like, I was really happy to be in it. She's like, I felt like it was one of the better written as far as like, at least it was a Bond girl that was like, at least on par uh, with Bond and the, at least in the smarts, you know, in the brain department. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she was, she was very professional about it all. I still, I, yeah, we were very mean to her for sure. Yeah. As far as characters, female characters in the bond universe, she's way up there because there's just so many of them are just damsels in distress uh, for the most oh, yeah. part. Like Tanya Roberts, like is Tanya yeah. Roberts that much better and nothing against Tanya Roberts, but it's like, is she right. that much better than Denise Richards? I don't and hear I, people griping about really, her. Yeah, you can never really just like blame, you know, they, they yeah. these writers don't know how to write. I mean, even though they brought in Dana Stevens, 
they don't really know how to write women and i think that's no. that shows off uh shows a lot when when these actors have to come in and, and do this do this stuff so um you know yeah is she is she awesome in this movie i would say no and there's there's some line readings that are like eh, i don't know about that but yeah i mean we i I think we were i think by 1999 audiences are sophisticated enough at this point to think can't we get better than this can't we do better than this and that's probably where she got most of that uh yeah criticism for sure and i but it it clearly like you said they were clearly trying but 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 they've still it's a bunch of dudes writing you know uh for for a woman and that doesn't always turn out right i liked her when she gets uh when she gets introduced though and she tells Bond her name is Christmas and she's just like, I've heard all the Christmas jokes, so please don't do that or something like that. It was just the way mm-hmm. she I thought that was a pretty fun line. Uh, you know, she says, I've heard them all. Yes, that's what and it then is. Yeah. That so that so that he can say, I don't know any yeah. doctor jokes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a cool <laughs> little moment. Uh yeah. and she also has to unfortunately deal with the and this is another thing with all these uh Bond girls, they eventually, whether it makes sense or not, they end up sleeping with Bond at the end. And it's like it just yeah. feels comes out of nowhere like right a lot of the times and there's it's, never there was never any moment where you thought no. oh those two were sleeping together yeah no yeah and, i mean talk about being mean variety called her the least plausible nuclear physicist in the history of movies who makes even the electrochemist elizabeth shoe played in 1997's the saint sound like a noble laureate so yeah but it's yeah. like how many fucking nuclear physicists does anybody know i mean i yeah right exactly uh, what I mean, what is it? Is there, a, there are nuclear physicists that they can't look like Denise Richards? I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense, especially in 2023. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I would say with the retrospective stuff I read, unlike a lot of these we've been talking about, it might have even gotten worse, like as far as people's mm-hmm. takes on it. I mean, you definitely have people that like this, but not, not, there's not like one I could find where it's like, oh, people misunderstood this one, you know, uh, like like they did with like maybe Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, yeah. But also, I think a lot of that has to do just with the the subject matter and everything. It it almost it almost felt dated when the movie came out, you know. So mm-hmm. I just don't think there's anything we can take from it like a like we could with Tomorrow Never Dies, where it's like these kind of media giants actually do exist now, you know, that kind of thing. But anyways, uh, that is all I had on uh, yeah the production. So are you ready to talk about just our general feelings? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, this is a segment we like to call a review to a kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. We are going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week. This week we are discussing 1999's The World Is Not Enough. I will say before Chris talks about his opinion, the general synopsis of this, James Bond uncovers a nuclear plot while protected an oil Harris from her former kidnapper, an international terrorist who can't feel pain. I think it's really odd they put the who can't feel pain at the end of that. That like does yeah. nothing for the story. So I don't know. Anyways, uh, um, what yeah. do you think so- about The World Is Not Enough? I really did not like this movie. <laughs> um, the 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 first uh, thing is uh, this has this has uh, surprise villain syndrome where like a lot of the things that happen in the movie uh, don't make sense. If correct. You once once you reveal the who the villain is mm-hmm. because 
a lot of the stuff is, is is a whole bunch of distractions to make you think one person is the is the villain and then when you find out <laughs> oh it's sophie marceau you're like oh couldn't you have done this in an easier way like that didn't require <laughs> all of this nonsense and and like at the very beginning he's you know he's getting this money and he wants to know a name of somebody who killed an agent and um it kills me that he that bond is in this room with all these dudes and this is the plan they came up with mm -hmm. oh i've got these special glasses that are going to cause a distraction i'm going to be able to shoot a couple of guys and then i'll <laughs> and i'll and then and and he completely ignores the woman in the room like the woman can't possibly hurt him or whatever <laughs> and 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 he he just he takes the swiss banker and then of course he gets shot gets a dart to the neck because mm -hmm. the woman of course is going Going to, I mean, of course she's behind a lot of this. Mm -hmm. um, then, yeah, and then you have you have that big chase and whatever, and like, um, what kills me too is when the whole this whole plan is okay. They've 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 uh, they've soaked the money in urea. Yes. And and that, and and uh, and because Bond touches the money and he touches ice, it's like he sees this chemical reaction, and so he runs after he runs after King, who's going into the money to go to look at the money in the vault, and then of course Bond isn't there in time. The, the it blows up because of something with some detonator in his pen that they put in. And uh, and uh, it blows up. It blows up part of MI6. There's this big huge mm -hmm. explosion. I don't understand why Cigar Girl is out on a boat with a mm -mm. gun. Like, wait, like, like, is she expecting someone to come out of the hole? Like, <laughs> later? I don't get this. Is I mean, we're kind of sending this movie here, and I, I don't mean to send a movie, but this was one of these things where I like it was so ludicrous at the beginning of the movie that I I I couldn't shut that off. I was like, why is she doing? Why is she out here? Why does MI six allow? boats to just be around in their harbor with some woman in this red skin tight mm -hmm. suit and a gun like nobody saw this and then and then of course he, he goes into like he goes into q's room which of course is right adjacent to the uh to the the vault that for whatever reason yeah and he gets into this boat and of course q's like no don't take that that's not finished it's finished enough to go do a whole <laughs> bunch of other things and stuff and they get this I like the big boat, huge boat the chase the boat is great i don't yeah. i'm not a big fan of the boat chase no i know um uh and uh, and then the subsequent hot air balloon pursuit uh later on and all that and and uh and yeah it's a super long intro i don't really care about the length of it no i just care about like how this makes any sense because if electra wanted to kill her dad it seems like it would be a pretty easy thing to do mm -hmm. without all the things they get to happen here mm -hmm. she just so happens to have a connection with m because her father and M used to talk when she got kidnapped and they had discussions about what they were going to do with the ransom and everything. And so she gets, she gets her on in on it and like, you know, like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to, I'm going to soak the money in urea and then I'm going to have, I'm going to change my dad's pin out with a detonator and then when he gets to the money, it's going to blow up. It's very Bondian. I don't, I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that this is not a, james bond villain plan because it's clearly that um 
but it really doesn't make any sense to me once you find out that she is behind it because mm-hmm. you can there's so many things she could have done with the access that she has that didn't require doing any of this stuff that that she did and uh and so i was so i i got i was one of those things like aha ta-da, she's the surprise villain i was like no this doesn't why would you do all of this to do just to do the things that you want to do and um also also the the plot of this movie has a lot to do with goldfinger like i mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's like goldfinger in a way uh because in goldfinger the 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 idea was to blow up the 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 gold in fort knox so mm-hmm. that so that uh 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 he would have the control of all the gold and, and that that, that he would be the richest man. And this is the same thing blowing up the, the way of the pipelines uh, so that only one pipeline can supply oil from this one place. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's another thing I feel like probably could have been accomplished without all of this other stuff. This is, I haven't had this experience in a while. There, there's always the why don't they kill Bond in every Bond movie, but this one feels egregious, like one of the most egregious that I've seen in a long time. They have Bond there and don't kill him so many times. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing about that surprise uh, villain thing for me is that there's a part where they go off skiing and like <laughs> all, yeah, all these yeah. henchmen show up. Yeah. And I they're like oh, and I guess to sh- I guess it's for the movie to show that oh she's really in danger and so you don't really suspect her or whatever. But why would I don't know why <laughs> I don't know why you would go through all of this trouble to make it look like you're not a villain um, uh, and send henchmen out to what what where you're skiing and everything. Yeah, no, and she didn't even know Bond was going to be with her. Like he just, yeah. he just decides he's not going to leave, and he goes with her with the skis. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, there's a lot that that's the thing. Once you, it's but it that that happens a lot too. It's one of the things that you know it would have made more sense to give it away earlier. I think because there's also that weird scene where Bond is like he knows, like he's figured it out. But he can't get her to admit it, and then she kind of tries to like, in a really bizarre like doesn't I don't even think is convincing. She tries to turn it on him and say like he was keeping stuff from her, and he was using her as bait, right? Uh, which is what M did basically when she was mm-hmm. kidnapped. And oh, and then the M thing too. Like I don't I don't even understand like what what did kidnapping M have to do with anything? Like other than she's just pissed that you know she just doesn't like her. But I don't know why. I mean. Elm could have very easily just not traveled to where they were, and that would have yeah. been totally acceptable. She could have just sent more double O agents in, right? Which yeah, is what and, she and, should have done. I mean, none of it makes any sense. Yeah, I guess because she feels personally involved or whatever. But like, still, like, yeah, you wouldn't do that as the head of MI six. No. You wouldn't go uh, to a place like that. Um, the other thing that bothers me too, and, and I understand they're trying to do all these twists on an old, on old, uh, characters mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, the Robert Carlyle thing, the fact that he can't feel pain and he's got this bullet in his brain mm-hmm. and all this other stuff that is never used to any effect no. in this movie. I, I feel like if you're going to have a vil- villain that can't feel pain, you should put them in situations where that becomes a huge advantage to him um uh like you know like he and and if he feels he's going to die uh 
this man this, i would love to have a crack at this screenplay actually mm-hmm. man i would write this robert carlisle character completely different like if he feels he's gonna die mm-hmm. then you can put him in a whole bunch of situations where he can run through fire and all mm-hmm. sorts of other stuff if he wants he doesn't care if he looks burned or if he looks if the way he looks or anything because he's not gonna feel it he just has to make sure he doesn't die before yeah. the, the plot is done and so like uh, so they never use it to any effect, and 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 I know that they're trying to make him seem like yet another big Bond villain guy that we've seen before. You know that the the with the kind of traits we've seen before, yeah. and they're, then they divert us away and like, oh yeah, it's not him. It it feels like to me if you're going to build up that kind of character, then he sh- that you should you should use that. So um, that was a uh, that was disappointing to me. Uh, that that they would do that, and uh, and if you're going if you're going to if you're going to have a villain like this, you should definitely yeah, implement that more. There was a, uh, and I read, I can't remember if it was one of the writers or like one of the producers. There was some stuff brought up. They they were talking about like something didn't make it to script, but they were talking about different things to do. And I think it was Firestein that was talking about one idea was that when Bond and him fought, Bond would just start breaking his bones, like. Mm-hmm. So, like, he couldn't feel it, but, like, he would have, like, no use of his right arm or whatever. And I was like, yeah. that, that could be really, I mean. That would have been badass. Yeah. I kind of, I guess, I don't know. I guess they just didn't know how to actually film that to where it would, you know, still be, like, a PG-13 movie or whatever. I don't know if that was a problem. I don't know what it was. Yeah, but I don't think it would have been a because, problem. Yeah. But whatever, because that final battle is one of the reasons I don't like this movie, because I don't even really know what's going on at that point. Like, I can't even figure out, like, they're at the bottom of the ocean in this submarine. Yeah, um, I can't even figure out what Carlisle's going to be able to do at this point. He keep, and they just keep going over and over, just showing him trying to like shove that that warhead in or whatever. And it's just yeah. like it's like, oh my god! Like, can we quit cutting to this? And then he'll get distracted, and then he'll go There's back to trying to push thing. it in. <laughs> I, I, at the risk of being really dense, and I'm sure I've appeared dense in all of these podcasts, but there's one thing that I didn't understand either: is that he like. Bond and Christmas talk about the plan in the submarine. They say mm-hmm. we're gonna need to surface the submarine so that they'll it'll appear on radar. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, so right after they say that, there's this uh, scene where Bond goes in and it's Carlisle and a whole bunch of other like people mm-hmm. henchmen who are like shooting at him. He shoots out two like he shoots out this console on the submarine so that they they can't control it anymore, basically. And it starts to sink or whatever. Yeah. He comes back and she goes, so we're going up then. (laughs) And I was like, wasn't that the plan? I don't know what she meant by that. And it's supposed to be, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Terrible. She's like, we're going up then. I was like, yeah that was the <laughs> original plan like maybe she said maybe she's saying that because they can't go up now because he destroyed that yeah. console I, I and, and it was never really clear it looks like it's supposed to be a comedic moment in the movie mm-hmm. and i just didn't get it i didn't well, understand I, what was I, being said i think it's also very possible that something was cut that would explain it more like why that happened you know that's usually what I assume, but no, it's it's just dumb. And I think that's part of the reason why people were coming out down hard on J- Denise Richards because most people don't realize if it if the character's not written well, that actor's probably not going to be able to do much with it. And uh, mm-hmm. and it, it was like she got dumber as the movie went on. It was like she started off like real whip smart, real you know she was par to par with Bond, 
And then once he had to admit that he was a secret agent, all of a sudden he just became, you know, so much smarter than her and all that kind of stuff. uh, The other one too, like not that this scene is exactly like, but you know, when they go through that pipeline uh, using that little, that, that vehicle of some sort or whatever, it is reminiscent of is it Diamonds or Forever where they where he goes he, where they put they bury Bond oh, it into is. that yeah it absolutely pipe. is yeah and so he has to go he has to crawl through that thing mm-hmm. or like use that little machine to go through it's reminiscent of that a little bit but like that's another one of those scenes where like they you know they see on the radar that the the the, the nuclear warhead caught up with them and it blew up and they just assume Bond is dead. Nobody ever once thinks, well, where it blew up was exactly where the pipe diverts mm-hmm. and they would have been able to get out mm-hmm. in time if they needed to. And so it's another one of those annoying things about when they think Bond is dead and they don't verify it and and whatever. So anyway, no, yeah, uh, I feel like when you watch this movie, Denise Richards should be way down on the list as far as like things you may not like about oh, it. Oh, and I'll, I'll be you honest, know? I I did not like Sophie Marceau very much in this. I think it has a lot to do with the writing, but I don't think it's mm-hmm. her. But like, yeah. I I kind of hate her character. Like, and that's a problem with the movie because that's supposed to be such a focal point of the movie is that she's the villain and she, you know. And there's this. Well, you we're know. supposed to we're supposed to feel for her because she was kidnapped. Yes, and, of so, and something changed. Something changed. Whatever she had to. She says she had to use her body. And like at one point when she had the power over the men, she was able to overtake them and mm-hmm. and whatever. And so that's we're supposed to we're supposed that's to a root good for. Yeah, we're supposed to root for her in that moment. But then yeah, afterwards. Uh, she's a little, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of like her and I kind of like her character a, a little bit more than you, you probably, but yeah. I see what you're saying. The, the, the thing is for me is I understand what she's, what her motivation or yeah. like her, no, we, yeah, like definitely. what her character is because she thinks she has power over all men. She got bond to sleep with her and like, yeah. you know, she got, she got, she can get anybody she wants and she has, she, that's her sort of her flaw in this movie. She thinks that everybody's just going to bow down to her and never kill her and whatever. And that's what ends up, killing yeah. her is that bond is like all right i'm done with this so i kind of like that um but i see what you're saying well i just think i know i all that's true and i i think the way they set her character up is great i just think once she becomes once we know she's the villain she just gets really generic like with yeah like, yeah for sure like she just becomes a bond villain and she's like I mean, she's not like showing the big eyes or anything, but it's just like all of a sudden she's just like crazy well, with power and all this stuff. And if it's they like, had, if they had kept it to the point where, because there's another interesting aspect to this is that mm-hmm. she believes her father stole her family's fortune here mm-hmm. and 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 basically like ruined her homeland for this oil and everything. Yeah. That's something that she, if she kept doing, she kept running with that theme instead mm-hmm. of the whole "I have power over men" and "I have Stockholm mm-hmm. syndrome" and all this other stuff. Uh, I think that would have been a way more interesting villain. Uh, is if if she's doing this more for her family and she's lashing out at you know these wealthy businessmen who come in and ruin countries for their for their wealth, you can really sympathize with a villain like that. 
uh, it reminds me a little bit of like Killmonger in uh, Black oh, Panther. Yeah, Black Panther. Yeah. Um, uh, where where, yes, he's he's the bad guy, but you he has a very good reason yes. to be the bad guy, and so like that's something that they just lightly hint at in this movie is that you know this is more about her family and and living her uh and 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 uh doing stuff in her mother's name and uh you know you know that type of thing and that would have been a little bit more interesting than this whole thing that you're talking about where she's you know she's definitely like nearly a bug-eyed villain by the yeah way. like ding 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 um you're right she <laughs> I should stop making fun of Rebecca Gayhart on podcasts. She's probably a lovely, lovely not, person. Well, no, it's not Rebecca Gayhart. It's the fact that they allowed that particular thing to happen in Urban Legend. So. Uh, and I, and Urban, Urban Legend is fun to watch mainly because of that, though. So she's yep. she's, she's doing something right. Uh, but anyways, yep. um, yeah, no, I and and he kills her. Like that's like when like when I don't mind I don't mind the fact that Bond kills uh, Electra. I think that could be like a really interesting type of the dynamic and the way they do it is, you know, cause she makes that comment, like, you're not going to kill me. You're going to miss me, which is her vanity. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, he yeah. shoots her and he's like, I never miss. And, uh, right. And that's, that's kind of a fun, you know, turn in the table on the phrase, whatever. Sure. But, but like, but then all of a sudden, like now Renard's the villain, the main villain again. Like, I don't know. It just, it, yeah. it felt like as soon as we find out what's going on with her, she gets killed, and then it's like, well, now we're just back to Renard. And Robert Carlyle is very good, but like, I just don't, like you said, they don't do enough with him. They give him this, they point out this whole thing, he can't feel pain. They don't do anything about that. Well, uh, and that's another thing weird. that Bond does in this in this movie is is, and and to your point about him becoming the main villain by the end of it after mm-hmm. they shoot the. Um, it it seems like to me that his I know that he thinks that he's going to be able to get her to uh, not make the submarine go down, but yeah. his his mission should be the submarine, not yeah. to go to her first. And uh, and and it's and it's the same thing also with the opening sequence when he's got the money, and you know, and <laughs> the woman, you know, the the cigar girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, blow darts the one dude and starts yeah. leaving as well. He's got he's got the money. There's, I guess the I guess he's still looking for that lead for who killed the agent or whatever. Yeah. But like, he goes through a lot of stuff just to go, go after yeah, that yeah. one woman. You know, uh, when when his main objective has been achieved and whatever. But like, yeah, he keeps doing stupid stuff all the way through this. That I don't understand. So, yeah, and that's like, another thing I don't like. Yeah, I don't like I don't like Bond in this very much. Like, I mm-hmm. agree with you. I think he like and and I don't even know why it would be like she like him at one point says don't make this personal. I'm like, why is this personal to him? I mean, yeah. they, I I don't know. I mean, he had just met uh electra and um i don't even know if he had slept with her yet no no oh, no he it makes more it made more sense yeah. with terry hatcher in the previous yeah. one that he yeah. would not get personal it, or whatever and he but... didn't seem to give a shit about that <laughs> like he was fine yeah, exactly you know? it's, yeah. it's weird right. it just i i just feel like there's stuff that's missing like i i this i mean once you read about the production of this not that it was like you know a lot of turmoil and stuff but they they were they they were throwing around a lot of ideas and then they just yeah. kind of threw them together and I it just feels like there's a lot of stuff that either a got cut out or it was just never there and they didn't care I I don't know mm-hmm. but it's just no it's not good I didn't I remembered liking this one okay too I had not seen it since the theater I don't think because I didn't remember much about it 
Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Like it started off okay, but then the further, but the more it kept going, the less interested I was in everything. And like that lasts like 20 minutes. I mean, yeah. they might as well have just it's, been like, it's rough. It's just, it's not interesting. It's not that it's bad. It's just not interesting. Like there's, yeah, it's like every bond ending sequence ever, like just well, kind of keep on. It seems like they kept, kept coming up with. Well, if this happens, do this, and we're yeah. like, okay, that's cool. And then that never happens. Whatever the yeah. scenario is that they come up with, never happens. And I guess you can, um, you can give props to a movie for not making everything, uh, you Correct. know, a Chekhov's gun type yeah. of thing, where like, you know, like just because we talk about it, we have to do something later. But they do it a lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. It feels like to me, yeah, no, they do. Where they're like, well, if this happens, then and then it never really happens. And the submarine thing could have been cool if she had to hit the button at the right time yeah. and all that. And oh yeah, there's um, no tension there. Like I'm, I'm not worried about them at all. And they're in a fucking submarine that is dead and buried at the bottom mm-hmm. of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I yeah. never once am like oh no, <laughs> like, is this going to, what's going to, mm. and then the way they <laughs> right. get out of it's so dumb, like, I guess they swam from the, I mean, I know they're like, they've got something that kind of gives them some momentum, but then at some point mm-hmm. they're just swimming and it's like, how the fuck yeah. did you get all the way to the top of the ocean without, you know, but whatever, I, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, if I cared about anything that happened before, I probably wouldn't even thought about it. But yeah, I was watching this though. And like, in my mind, I was thinking Denise Richards isn't good. Sophie Marceau is awesome because I remembered liking that twist and then I saw it. I was like, well, this wasn't very good. And I think mm-hmm. probably because of that, though, then I read that in the reviews, people were just like, you know, loving Sophie Marceau and just hating Denise Richards. So I think part in my mind, it probably is like, well, I don't think either of those things are right. You know, I think like she's good to a point, but then the way they write her character, it's, you know, it's hard for her. I don't know. And then I think Denise Richards obviously isn't that bad. I mean, Mm-hmm. She actually, she actually, the, the lines of dialogue that they make her say, I'd say she does a pretty good job with them. Like she's, she's fine. Yeah. yeah. She's totally fine. I'm never going to think she's, mm-hmm. and I do like her. I don't, I mean, I don't know. There is something about her and, it, and that's probably why she has stayed in the zeitgeist as long as she have, even though she doesn't do a bunch of movies and stuff, but people know who Denise Richards is. Uh, mm-hmm. She's got personality. I mean, there's stuff about her that, you know, she, uh, she put up with Charlie Sheen for way too long, probably, but yeah. that's, you yeah. know, yeah. things happen. I, yeah, definitely. Because I was trying to even think, like, movie-wise, what she really did after this. She did Valentine, um, mm-hmm. but then I feel like anything else she did. a brief moment of, hmm? she's briefly in love, actually, I think. Oh, for, yeah, for, that's right. She's one of the girls that comes mm-hmm. back with him, right? The British guy? I think so. I'm not, I can't remember yeah. that movie enough to know, but yeah, I think I it think is, it's her yeah. and Carmen Electra. I think that's it. If, I have no idea. I think I don't remember. I've seen that movie. Unfortunately, I I, don't, I mean the movie's fine. I don't hate it or anything, but um, my wife loves it. So it's uh, she watches it every year around the holiday. So sometimes I watch it with her. But uh, mm-hmm. but it's something like that, yeah. Because I know Eliza Cuthbert's in it too. But I think that's when he's in the states and he's at the bar and he's just talking to people. But I think when he gets yeah. back, he's got. I think it's Denise Richards and Carmen Electra. But I could be wrong. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. No good. Love actually. No, probably you're right. Love actually is probably better than this movie though. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a lot else to say. I mean, the I don't know. I just yeah. I was, I was kind of surprised. Like, I it's really interesting. This has been the first time with Tomorrow Never Dies in this one. I thought I would have the opposite reaction to both. Like, I thought I didn't like Tomorrow Never Dies very, much. and maybe I didn't at the time. But it actually, I think it's aged okay. And then this yeah. one is just not aged well at all. Um, 
doesn't feel like it. No. And it's crazy because as hard as they are trying to like do this, like in a way that like, you know, they're really, they were really, they had, they had ideas about the women are going to be better in this one. And you know, all the, and it, and it ended up almost being worse. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. I don't know how that's possible, yeah. but it is. So for our rankings, uh, we are now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart, as long as they are shaken and not stirred, and that would be martinis. So for each category, rank from one to five martinis, five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, one being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. So as always, our first one is going to be just our overall feeling toward the movie, the story, which we've kind of already said, but what is your actual like ranking for that? Uh, I'm going to give this one a two out of five. Um, yeah, it's not the worst one I've ever seen. That's the man of the golden gun. Um, this one, this one is definitely better than that movie, but it's a two out of five. Yeah. I don't mean to, I don't mean to like speak ahead. I'm pretty sure this is not the worst Brosnan film either, but, uh, well, it is not find out. Maybe we'll have a change of heart. We're like, die the other day is awesome. (laughs) guys seriously yeah yeah we gotta give this another chance Mm -hmm. oh man uh yeah no i'm a two Uh, it's like easiest two i've ever given i think Uh, since like probably like for your eyes only it's probably like the easiest two i've ever given uh Mm -hmm. this one isn't boring though which i think is why it's not it's not at the bottom because there's not it's it Mm -hmm. it moves along like you're never just like god this is so slow you know yeah uh but uh but it's not very good uh uh, the Bond, the performance, the Brosnan. I, I think this is this is my least favorite of the three, and it has a lot to do with how they've written him. I'm still going to give him a three. I just it's I didn't like it as much as I did him in the other two that we've watched. Yeah, Brosnan is um uh he yeah he's he's uh, I don't know I think he the character yeah I mean we are talking about the Bond here. Yeah. We're not talking about Brosnan yeah, exactly. himself. Brosnan is obviously really good, but. Um, but yeah, the bond here does a lot of stupid things that doesn't make any sense to me, uh, throughout. Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah, he's still bond, but I don't know. There's not nothing in here that I almost want to, I want to give this like two and a half, I guess. Two and a half. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Mm -hmm. and also I, we didn't really talk about this too much, but like, I find, he seems like really sleazy in this one. And that's not something I've really felt like that scene with the doctor at the beginning, which we hadn't even talked about because he hurts his shoulder in that explosion. And he's trying to get a doctor to uh, clear him for duty. And so Mm -hmm. he seduces her and it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's yeah, that's pretty gross. And then like, it didn't feel feel like uh, it didn't feel like it was a well, and it made sense in that situation. Well, and he also is, they're also big on the, I mean, they, I guess they've been a little bit bigger on the double entendre since Brosnan yeah. came back, but the, but you know, uh, cigar girl comes up and says, would you like to check out my figures? And yeah. he's like, oh, I'm sure they're well-rounded. Yeah. And then of course that awful, like Christmas only comes yeah. once oh, a year God. thing at the very Always end. Always wanted to have Christmas and Turkey yeah oh. christmas and turkey yeah that type of thing so yeah he does seem a little sleazy in this movie yeah and uh the scene i do like though that's one thing about the, the cigar girl the girl from real postino i do like it the i like when he makes that comment though she looks at him like fuck you <laughs> like, like yeah like it, I, exactly so I, I liked that but then like it just from there it just then they have that that scene with the doctor was the weirdest one though like i could yeah, and, like it wasn't even like looks uncomfortable <laughs> like he just doesn't mm-hmm 
So I don't know. I don't know if it was like one of those things where like Roger Moore had to shoot that person. Also, there's that one scene too, which I mean, it's a bad guy, but like he just cold blood. He just full on murders uh, that uh, henchman. That's like work. Well, it's like the guy that's working with. Uh, I mean, he's with Sophie Marceau. I can't remember what his like, because Bond's in the trunk. Do you remember this? Yeah, the guy yeah, opens yeah. his trunk and then he just shoots like he just murders him like right there and it was just kind of I don't know mm. it felt odd like it just didn't feel like something he would have done like he would have knocked him out or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 that was that was something that seemed like yeah that's a typical Bond shit to me. But yeah, it could be. I can't ever explain be. that. It's just sometimes it feels weirder. He than He says others. in this movie. He says in this movie that he doesn't shoot people who are unarmed. So <laughs> maybe because this maybe. guy is armed. Yeah. Because he's about to kill, he's about to kill Carlisle at that one yeah. point, and he's like, "I don't usually do this, but I'm going to make an exception for you." And, um, and so like maybe that's how he, how they, um, explain a scene like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I and I can't really back it up with anything, so it's fine. Uh, the villain henchman we're talking about. We've got uh, Electra. We've got uh, Renard. Um, I mean that's kind of it. There's that like uh uh Robbie Coltrane's got like this uh like henchman that's in it a little bit. Uh, who was like actually yeah. like a like a DJ or something. He was like he's a he's a he's a he's in music or was then mm-hmm. in like the UK music scene. Uh yeah. but uh I don't know. It's I guess it's mostly just Renard and um and Electra. So what is your take on them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um I like the attempt. Mm-hmm at what they did but i also hate how they build up renard just to pull pull the rug out and say you know it's well actually it's it's her and she has stockholm syndrome and she you know she flipped the tables on everybody and now she's getting revenge on her dad and whatever i don't know it it it, something didn't set well with me on that i'm gonna give the villains two out of five two two and i feel i hate it because like the idea of like a full-on female villain i love like we were talking about how we wish barbara carrera had just been the villain uh the main yeah for sure uh, so it sucks when they actually do it and it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. Uh. yeah uh so the gadgets uh so we've got like there's the BMW Z8, which this was the third. I don't know if it comes back, the BMW, but they had that three-picture deal with BMW. So that was them mm-hmm. fulfilling that. Uh, that's got some stuff in it. There's the Q-Boat, which, like you said, I, I did like the boat, but I didn't like the boat chase. And then I think it's funny, too, because Q even says that it wasn't built for spies. It was just for his retirement. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, they let you like use government money to build yeah but he and i guess it could have been a joke but it was just weird uh right he's got the omega watch that shoots a grappling hook which by the way is hilarious the way that scene plays out because he's just like she's like we're trapped they're closing us off and he's just like don't he says something like don't worry about it or something and then he shoots that grappling hook and it's like so slow it's like after he says that Mm -hmm. then he's just kind of cruising up to the top like (laughs) yeah yeah and then i guess she's just watching him i guess i don't know uh and then there's yeah, there the, are there doesn't seem like there's really much in the way of gadgets no, in this you're you're naming these and i'm like yeah. oh oh well, yeah the that's only right other that's thing in there i can think of is the jacket that turns into like a like a ball yes. and somehow that it doesn't cause them to be buried in snow which doesn't make any damn sense yeah it makes sense either yeah so i don't know i guess i'm at like a two on the gadgets yeah gadgets are two uh yeah. 
And then lastly, uh, the Bond song. I got the impression you really like the Bond song. Yeah, I really like Garbage. I and, and I think that uh, the that uh, Shirley Manson's voice and their sound really lends itself mm-hmm. to Bond themes. Uh, it's not... I it's not like the most the greatest one that I've ever heard, but I'm gonna give it a four out of five. I'm only giving it a three. It's probably more like a three and a half because for the simple fact that it's one of the few I don't remember it like after I hear it. Like I could not mm. sing it to you right now. I'd have to I mean I kinda mm-hmm. have some of the melody in my head, but like I can't uh it's mm-hmm. just it doesn't stick with me. But her voice is great. Like we were talking about last week with a uh, Cheryl Crow were like the the lyrics and the music was there, but it was just Cheryl Crow did not fit that song. Whereas here, yeah. uh, I think that Shirley Manson very much fits this song, but for whatever reason, musically and lyrically, it just doesn't really stick with me. Uh, mm-hmm. But because just because of garbage or, or specifically probably her, uh, in fact, I thought it was just her. I actually I had no idea it was the whole band was involved in that. But um, yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a three. So, yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on this lovely Bond film? <laughs> I, I I don't. Um, I know that, you know, with so much going on and so much craziness, we probably, like, missed some things here and there or whatever. You know, I mean, we we just mentioned that, uh, that doctor yeah. scene, like, towards the end, just barely uh, put that in. But, like... Yeah, there's there's probably a lot of things I didn't quite get in this because it's one of those where it seems like they come up with an idea and then they don't really fully implement the the idea later or whatever. So there's a lot of maybe they did do more than I thought they did. But after this last viewing, I was like, man, it just seems like there there's a lot of promise and not a lot of uh, a lot of pay. Yeah, and it's just it's not there's nothing about it that stands out. I can almost guarantee you by like we've we've got to go through the Craig films, you know, before we're done with this. By the time we get to like Spectre, I'm probably gonna not be able to tell you what happened and World is not enough. <laughs> like I get yeah, myself three same, weeks yeah. and you'd be like, What happens in World is not enough? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I feel that way about a lot of the movies we've already done. So, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Oh, that mm-hmm. hot air balloon thing, which we kind of touched on that, that whole, I don't know why, but I'm just like sitting there thinking, is a hot air balloon really a good escape plan? Because like, I know it was like, at the moment, I don't think it was planned that way, but no, but it's like, she w- that wouldn't have been her plan A, <laughs> like escaping that's for on a sure. Blimp. <laughs> like, right, right. Like, like so slow. Uh, but anyways, well, thank you all for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope you will join us again next week. Uh, we're uh, going to be talking about, uh, I actually made a, I think I made it, I messed up earlier in the show and said we'd be talking about Casino Royale next week. We do have one more Brosnan though. Uh, so we're going to yep. be talking about Die Another Day. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at GoldSpy007. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at SamLoomis13. You can email us at golddiamonddeath 7 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSins brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. But we hope you'll join us again when we talk about Die Another Day. Until then, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission. <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 